Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the digital resource curator for Faith to Go. And I'm Charlotte Pressler, the Director of Formation for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And welcome, everybody, to Charlotte's new job. (laughs) The Faith to Go podcast for this week leading up to Sunday, January 8th. We will be talking about the Gospel for Epiphany, which is on January 6th. But I'm guessing most of the churches out there will be celebrating Epiphany on the 8th, which is the following Sunday. Movable feasts. Technically, the 8th is the first Sunday after Epiphany, which is ordinary time. Yes. But lots of people will be celebrating Epiphany on the 8th anyway. But first, we have to hear from Charlotte because you <laughs> have a new excited, David. title, so Charlotte. I'm excited right now. <laughs> Look at this excited finger I have up. I'm about to point it at you. I get to talk and learn about Jesus a lot. <laughs> As opposed to before. Uh, more so. <laughs> Revised okay. and expanded. Uh, so, So this sounds like a new ministry context. It does. Would you tell us about it? Yes. And David, as we have often joked about on the podcast, the portfolio is vast. So it may be one job, but the scope and sequence of this work is going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it is cradle to grave faith formation. Mm -hmm. Um, It will include all of the things that I was doing as youth missioner for our diocese. It will also include some of the collaborating that I was doing outside of my youth missioner role Mm -hmm. um, and some congregational supports, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about. I also will get to be a liaison between the Episcopal schools in our diocese Mm -hmm. um, and our Episcopal camp, which Mm -hmm. we all know I'm kind of a big fan of Mm -hmm. Camp Stevens, if you've never heard me talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of different things all under this umbrella of formation. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really excited about the opportunity and the vision of Bishop Susan to create this space Mm -hmm. for us to really embrace what that means within our diocese in a new way. So if people want to find out more about what you're doing, where should they go to to learn about you and what's um, happening in your in your position? So edsd.org would be the logical choice. Mm-hmm. Um, blessedly, my email address will stay the same, which, Amazing. you know, is cpressler at edsd.org. Mm-hmm. So if you were in contact with me before, you can get in contact all the same ways. Mm-hmm. And if you have never been in contact with me, you can find those resources on edsd.org. Awesome. All right. Well, everyone, stay tuned for more from Charlotte Pressler. We always like to check in uh, about God sightings, and we have a special, some special God sightings coming up because, as you know, we did a live episode from the Good News Festival, and while we were there, we fed two birds with one scone and recorded a bunch of God sightings with a bunch of different people that were there. Uh, so we have a some exciting uh, God sightings to hear from some people that otherwise we wouldn't hear from on the podcasts. The first one is Jerusalem Greer. She was there as part of Bishop Michael Curry's entourage. You know, she has an eye on all these, all the new kind of evangelism and discipleship initiatives throughout the Episcopal church. And I had the chance to talk to her at the good news festival. We opened with a, a little bit kind of a back and forth interview and then she shared a God sighting. So, we're going to throw it to me in the past. So past David, take it away with Jerusalem Greer. I'm Jerusalem Greer. I'm the manager for evangelism and discipleship mm. for the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. And that's me. And Amazing. I, yeah. 
So there you go. And here you are in San Diego. And here I am in San Diego, all the way from New Jersey to San Diego. I grew up in New Jersey. Did you really? Yeah, I West just, Caldwell, New Jersey. Okay, I just moved to Sussex County. Oh, yes, so close. So close. Northern Jersey, what's up? Hey. Yes. Cows. Cows Shout out to the 973. That's right. Um, so here we are, Good News Festival. So exciting. You know, another thing we always ask our guests is to share a little bit about their ministry context. So you said what your title is. And so, but right. what is like, what where, what's you? your energy around right now? Like, what are you super oh. pumped for in your, yeah. in okay. your ministry? So going in on? my ministry, I do a lot of things. So, you know, there's one point something million Episcopalians, right? Yeah. Um, and I am in charge of discipleship and evangelism for all of them. You're, you're in charge of getting 1.78. Right. That's yeah. like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and so I wish I could go visit with every single Episcopalian or would-be Episcopalian, but I yeah. can't. So mm-hmm. a lot of what I do is to help resource leaders, mm-hmm. be it lay leaders, clergy, bishops, whomever, um, and to help them get what they need to go then do the work of even empowering, training, mm-hmm. equipping even more leaders to then reach the people in the pews and beyond mm-hmm. for discipleship and evangelism. Mm-hmm. So our office does, um, we support leaders, build community, and create resources mm-hmm. is kind of the three-legged stool mm-hmm. of my office. Yeah. And I have a question. What, yeah. like, how, as of today, mm-hmm. 2022, December yeah. 10th, yeah. how are you, like, conceptualizing and thinking about evangelism in this place and time. Oh, that's Just like question. up to the moment, you know, like maybe this morning you had an epiphany. And it's like, what are you thinking about like right now, you know? Uh, so right now, a lot of what I'm thinking about is a couple of different parts of our, my ministry, but particularly agrarian ministry. Mm. And okay. outdoor ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, we have this thing called Good News Gardens that is between my office and the Office of Creation Care. And we were just up at Camp Stevens, oh, which yeah. is, yes, right? right, with yeah. Kathy. Yeah, with Kathy Wilder. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had what was called Field Days, which is yes. an uh, interactive, immersive, Good News Gardens, like in-person event. Good yeah. News Gardens started during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've only ever been on Zoom. And <laughs> we are now getting to actually go and be in person with people in spaces where folks are doing agrarian ministry. And by agrarian ministry, I mean, like, honestly, anything that has to do with earth, land, sea, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, fishing ministries, gardening ministries, beekeeping ministries, food ministry, mm-hmm. um, because we're, we're a food religion. So, yeah, right. yeah, and it all goes back to, you know, and that's all rooted in earth and sea and, mm-hmm. and air. So, yeah. And so then that is a re- like that being about evangelism mm-hmm. is a reflection of how you think about evangelism. Then. Yes. So would you say like how you think about evangelism? So and how, like how that is like an outgrowth of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody at work gets annoyed with me because all I ever say is it's all evangelism. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all the departments. You're all sure, doing evangelism. Sure. They're like, oh, goodness. Yeah. But yeah, the way I think about evangelism is it is good news. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we're forming people through the good news to be good news. And so I'm always looking at where is good news and where's the invitation? How do people hear good news? What is what does good news sound like to them mm-hmm. right now? And for a lot of folks, um, it sounds like connecting with God outdoors, Yeah. right? So we did this study called Jesus in America, and one of um, the statistics, and you can find this on the, the Episcopal Church website, across everybody that, that we interviewed in that survey, and we had like a professional survey. It wasn't like me going around with a pencil, right? Like we had an actual like agency do this. Sure, sure, yeah. um, it's scientific. Yeah. Um, 
the way, uh, one of the questions they asked is like, where do you experience the divine? Where do you connect with God? And they asked it of Episcopalians. They asked it of people of other faith traditions, no faith tradition, mm -hmm. the whole thing. The number one above prayer, above worship in buildings, uh, above any of that, it was being outdoors. Mm -hmm. It was the one thing yeah. that every demographic had in common. You know, I think it is, A, a lot of us just instinctually yeah. know that. We've had those transcendent moments, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's at the beach. Like, so many people are like, the beach is my happy place. And if you dig a little deeper, you find it like the beach is their spiritual place, yeah. right? right? Or the garden or fishing or, mm -hmm. um, dare I even say, just the shock of some people, hunting. Like, mm -hmm. we find God in nature mm -hmm. um, in lots of different ways. And so I think right now evangelism has a moment that we can really go forth and invite people into natural spaces mm -hmm. and, and experiences, agrarian experiences, um, land experiences. I just got invited to, to go sailing for Jesus. Yes. So nice. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that. yes, that should be a good news garden ministry yes, because I we use the that. term garden very loosely. Basically, mm -hmm. anything that's agrarian ministry, we consider it to be part of good news garden. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's the one thing that every resonates with everybody. And yeah. so it's a easy way to invite people in. And so I'm just all for like, let's do church outside. Let's mm -hmm. do Bible study outside. It's, mm -hmm. You know, you do evening prayer outdoors and you're actually like watching the Vesper light as you're mm -hmm. right. praying. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's why we say this. Right. Our right? eyes are beholding the Vesper light. <laughs> what a miracle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So I think, and I just think Kathy Wilder, who you know from mm -hmm. Camp Stevens, mm -hmm. She, can, she thinks of the camps as being like the front porch of yeah, the church, right. right? And I think of agrarian ministry as like, it's the, it's the front yard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Thinking yeah. about where God is now. Yes, yes. The original ask that we made of you <laughs> before this long <laughs> interview happened. Right. Would you share with us where you saw or felt God in this last week or maybe however long, you know, just something recently that pops up for you? Yeah. So the first thing I, I thought of when you guys asked me that question is about this last week, and it is about being up at Camp Stevens. Mm -hmm. It was really, really special to be up there, especially because we got to play with the animals. Mm. They have goats and pigs mm. up there, and we got to have them come out and be a part of us. One of my kind of gurus in this ministry, an agrarian ministry, his name is Sam Chamlin, mm. and he's the co-host of another podcast called Food and Faith. Oh, cool. um, and we were talking to him recently on a Good News Garden thing, and he was talking about um, that first passage in John that we hear a lot around mm. Christmas, mm. right? Like, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said, John never describes what kind of flesh. Yeah. Right. right? Like the word became flesh and, and Sam loves animals, works with animals. Mm -hmm. And he really put that in my mind about like thinking about how Jesus has come to be among us and, and embodiment isn't just our bodies, mm -hmm. right? Embodiment happens all around us in mm -hmm. lots of different ways. Our family moved this past year from Arkansas to New Jersey. Mm. We had to leave all of our farm animals that we had there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever tried to move a pig across the country, but it's not really a normal, easy thing to do. So our animals were adopted by other folks, and I hadn't really been around um, yeah. livestock since. And it was so healing mm. and so joyous. Mm -hmm. um, and I just saw God moving around the, among the participants that were there and their interaction with the animals. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of people at that event who do agrarian ministry, but who were feeling very 
stressed out mm-hmm. or burnt out as a lot of people are feeling right now, yeah. right? Yeah. And to just literally like pet a goat, mm. <laughs> right? And to watch these pigs like joyously rooting around, eating the things in the garden that need to leave. It was just this beautiful like full circle. Like yeah. they were they were experiencing joy and nourishment and we were experiencing joy and nourishment, like spiritual nourishment from like watching them experience their what the way they're supposed to be and it was just this really beautiful symbiotic thing and I just felt like God is here God is enfleshed mm-hmm. among us yeah. you know I love that that yeah. God is in the the like vision of how things are supposed to be yeah. we can just feel the balance exactly yeah. that's where God is that was beautiful amazing well hey how can people find out more about you and what you're doing and just the work of yeah. The Episcopal Church. And the Episcopal Church. Yeah. So you can go to the episcopalchurch.org mm-hmm. website mm-hmm. and look for evangelism or look for Good News Gardens. I have a really unique name, Jerusalem Greer. Yeah, so if you want to find me, literally the easiest way is just Google that. Yeah. Um, and you can get connected with me. And I just like to remind folks that if you don't know this about the Episcopal Church, the way our finances work, right, is that typically people give mm-hmm. in some amount. You know, not, not everybody gives a lot, but everybody gives hopefully a little bit to their church mm-hmm. of some sort. Mm-hmm. The church gives to their diocese, mm-hmm. so the Diocese of San Diego, which is hosting this amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And then the diocese gives to the wider church office, and that's right. who I work for. So yeah. actually, I work for you, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm on the presiding bishop staff, but I work for you. So if there's any question, any interest that folks have in evangelism, discipleship, way of love, agrarian ministry, Good News Gardens, like do not hesitate to reach out to me. I am here for you, and I love to hear from you. Awesome. So. Thanks so much, Jerusalem. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Have fun at the Good News Fest. Yes. Can't wait. I know. I really enjoyed that conversation with her. And um, make sure you go check out, as as she said, what Jerusalem is doing. Google her. Uh, You can also go to theepiscopalchurch.org and just do a search for Jerusalem Greer. You'll find her contact and her information there. Now, uh, we would always love to hear from you uh, about any of your questions, comments, stories from your week of faith discussion or reflection. Maybe if you used any of those faith to go resources uh, from the MyFaithToGo.org website or any of your stories from your ministry context where you saw God this past week, we'd love to hear from you. You can find all the ways of getting in contact with us listed in the description for this podcast episode. Charlotte is going to read the gospel for Epiphany, and then I'll have some context. We'll each have a point. The gospel is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. Calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, 
and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. All right. Herod. What a guy. This is actually the Herod that will interact with Jesus. This is his dad. Different Herod. This Herod will die soon, actually, in the gospel. And then the Herod uh, we'll hear much more about in Jesus's life is the son of this Herod. Charlotte has the first point. I just found out I'm going first. (laughs) So what I was thinking about in this episode was Herod at first, but as I was really analyzing where I was landing on all of it, I think that where I'm actually landing has to do more with emotions than it does entirely with Herod himself. And it's something that we've been hearing about all through Advent um, and in Christmas readings, and we get it again in the gospel today, and that's fear. And there, we, you know, when the angels came to the shepherds, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. So this theme of fear has woven through everything that we have experienced thus far. So Herod, when he hears about this and the star and all of these things, it says that he is frightened. And his response to fear is to try to fix the situation. And by fixing the situation, he is going to eradicate the problem. Mm -hmm. And so his fear response is harm. Mm -hmm. And I think that where I come to in this is thinking about instead how the Magi responded. And so they have the same experience that Herod has. They have more knowledge, certainly, and they have spent a lifetime studying things and thinking about things. But their response to the situation and what they have seen in the sky is not fear um, that makes them want to resolve it, but curiosity, wonder that they want to go and see where this is leading and to know what it is. They aren't looking for a resolution. They are wondering about what it means. They are curious about the outcome. And I think that what would this story have been like if Herod, instead of knee-jerk reaction of, I have to fix this, I have to wipe out this problem, I have to kill this child. Mm -hmm. If instead he had left room, not even necessarily for wonder. Like, I think wonder might have been beyond the grasp of Herod. (laughs) But if he had just left a little bit of room for the finding out, Mm -hmm. a tiny piece of curiosity, if he had pushed pause on his reaction and instead of like immediately jumping into action on it, letting the fear take him over, if he had pushed pause, what would that have been like? And not just Herod in this, because I also was thinking about Mary, because Mary, who is here when the wise men finally arrive and they bring their gifts, I can't help but wonder how she was feeling when the gifts are presented, because here's gold. Great. Mm-hmm. Here is frankincense. Wow. And then here is myrrh which speaks to the humanity of Jesus, but not just to the humanity as in the someday we're all going to die type of humanity, but naming the fact that her child is the Messiah and knowing what that means for his future to be handed a tangible object that reflects the pain and sorrow and heartache and death that is to come. The immediate emotion that I connect to in all of that is fear. 
because nobody can worry like a parent can worry. Nobody can, especially when you're looking at the face of your child and seeing them in all of their beautiful, glorious, messy childhoodness. Mm -hmm. And all you want to do is protect them and ensure that they have choices and opportunities and all of these things. And then someone puts a big old hunk of myrrh in your hand. Mm -hmm. And in that instant, all you can see is the end. And you know that there is no protection from that end, that there is no choice that you get to make that will spare that for your child. Um, There is no guidance that you can offer to help them process what is to come because the child that you have had is a king that is not the king that was expected. And just naming in this the complexity, I think that my point is that it's the complexity of fear and how we have to respond to it and process it, that there are all of these different opportunities with when we are faced with it to either be curious about why am I feeling this way and what is this thing that is coming and leaving room for wonder and perhaps connection and opportunity like the wise men. Or there is the opportunity to rush to judgment and action like Herod that ends in painful results. Or there is Mary who in all of this has to find a way to let love lead even in that overwhelming place of fear. But I'm thinking about Bethlehem and one of the, one of the like most foundational stories in the Hebrew scriptures of a Bethlehemite is that of uh, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi, who was from Bethlehem and had two sons and she and her husband and her sons left and went to Moab when there was a famine in in Bethlehem, in in land of Israel. The sons married two daughters, one of whom was Ruth, and then the husband and the sons all die. And Naomi and Ruth and the other son's wife are all left without kind of their, their cultural structures of security and power. And Naomi is bereft and she wants to dismiss the two women and go back Uh, to Bethlehem and just pick up the pieces and the one leaves, but Ruth refuses to leave Naomi and Ruth and Naomi return. And when Naomi returns, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because in Hebrew, Mara means bitter, which is the same root as Mary's name. Mm -hmm. And so Mary is in this land of Bethlehem, uh, the land of Naomi, the land of bitterness knowing what bitterness means to Mary is like the reality is facing her and her family. There's something so beautiful about thinking about Naomi and Ruth as this is taking place in their hometown. This is taking place, you know, some hundreds of years later. And, and that like Mara, Mary is the one with whom God has found favor. You know, that God has, has dealt abundantly with Mary and And that like, there is some way this like healing and redeeming for Naomi in Mary's story. And yet Mary, like Naomi, will lose a son. Her son's going to die too. And so like, it just is this whole line of people then, because then Naomi and Ruth and Ruth marries Boaz and Ruth and Boaz have Obed and Obed has Jesse and Jesse has David. And David's the youngest son, the one that's out in the field when the prophet comes to anoint the next king and anoint and looks at all of David's brothers and none of them are fit for kingship. And he's like, there's got to be another son. 
And Jesse's like, well, I got this scrawny kid out in the field. Do you think it's him? And David comes in. Yeah, it's David. It's the one that's least likely. The one that's least powerful is the one that is the hope of the people of Israel. And so I just love this lineage of God finding hope in the hopelessness, you know, the perseverance, the way that, that the disempowered subvert the power structures to, to survive and to thrive and to find life and joy in the midst of that suffering. And that God is always most abundantly present in the bitterness, in the suffering, in the Mara with Mary, with Naomi, with Ruth. And this, and the perseverance comes from the people around them, loving them, you know, and not giving up. And, and that's the beauty of Ruth, you know, that Ruth like will not leave Naomi. Ruth is committed to this person, you know, even though her husband is gone, even though the, the like relationship connecting her and Naomi is gone, there's a solidarity between them. And that solidarity leads to abundant life. And, and that that is, you know, the beauty that Jesus carries that lineage with him, you know, that idea that we are here to support one another and that we find one another, we find God in the hardest times and the suffering times and that the bitterness does not have the last word, you know, that, that even when you return to Bethlehem and everything feels bitter, there's still something hopeful that can happen. There's still something new that can take place. And that this Bethlehem place, the smallest, littlest, most insignificant town of Judah, you know, the last born of the, of the tribes. This one is where God is emerging, you know? So it's this invitation back to the smallness, turn to the Bethlehem feeling, return uh, to Naomi and Ruth and Mary and back to you know, where God dwells in, in the suffering, in the unexpected places, in the, in the little tiny things, not the big explosive feasts and festivals, but in the, in the tiny moments in in the small parts of the world where we least expect it. And I was thinking as you were talking, David, about that smallness being finding the peace and the fear, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that ties together with what I was saying. And for me, I, I just came across this quote the other day um, by Archbis- Archbishop Oscar Romero, mm-hmm. um, which is, peace is not the product of terror or fear. Peace is not the silence of cemeteries. Peace is not the silent result of violent repression. Peace is the generous, tranquil contribution of all to the good of all. Peace is dynamism. Peace is generosity. It is right and it is duty. Mm-hmm. And I think that that speaks to like what our call is in that, right? Like the, this response to fear is to find the peace within it and knowing that peace isn't quiet. It's not the absence of noise. And our, instead of focusing on power, it's to find the small ways in which God is working. Mm-hmm. But that all of those things are responses mm-hmm. that we are called to find. Mm-hmm. So those are our two points for this week, this Feast of the Epiphany in 2023. The first one was Charlotte's. It was about the invitation to wonder and away from fear. And the second one was mine, and it was about Bethlehem. 
and this kind of legacy of Bethlehem that Mary and Joseph and Jesus carry that we can carry with us. Having heard those two points, we'd love to know what your third point would have been for this week if you've been on the pod with us. We'd also love to hear any of your stories or questions or comments from your week of faith discussion or reflection, any of your thoughts or stories from your ministry context or where you saw or felt God this past week or didn't feel God this past week. Any of those, we'd love to hear from you anytime. You can find all those ways of getting in contact with us listed in the description for this podcast episode. And we will be back next week to talk about the second Sunday after the Epiphany. That's January 15th. And until then, we say goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye, everybody. everybody.